We're going to be in the book of Romans this morning, chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard, in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Hey, good morning. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 15. Last week we talked about two kinds of people, checkbox people and people who are in active rebellion against checkboxes. And uh, some of you checkbox people are realizing that we're doing the passages in Romans 6 out of order, and you're already, you're not sure if you can stay. We're doing it on purpose, so we're in verses 15 through 23 of Romans 6 this morning. Next week, we'll consider the first 14 verses of Romans 6. And uh, so you're just going to have to, if that's really bothering you, you're just going to have to give that to the Lord here this morning. Uh, the CIA had realized that they had a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a mole, turncoat. They realized somebody was selling secrets to the enemy. And they were able to look at some of the data, kind of what information they knew was being sold and was being betrayed. And they were able to narrow it down to a relatively small group of officers that could have access to the information that had been betrayed to the enemy. And so then what they were going to do is interview uh, these uh, officers and these analysts with uh, a mind towards trying to reduce the group down even further. So they interviewed these uh, folks on pretext. They told them we were collecting data and they were analyzing their processes and looking for different ways to get better at what they do. So the people coming in to be interviewed didn't realize that they were candidates uh, for treason uh, as they came in. Uh, one of the questions that they asked the uh, operatives or the officers that came in for the interview, one of the questions they asked was this, is if you were going to spy for the enemy, how would you do it? And most CIA officers would find this kind of question really interesting and compelling because they're always asking these kinds of questions as a way to try and understand what the enemy is up to. And so your average CIA officer, when asked this question, would find this really exhilarating and a, an opportunity creatively to think, well, how does the enemy think and how would I be an enemy to the, to the United States? And so they got lots of good ideas on how uh, to commit treason. The one guy who was actually ended up being guilty of it, they found he couldn't answer the question. 
he was flummoxed by it because all of a sudden he felt like the spotlights were on him. And he was really nervous with the question. He came up with some hemming and hawing answers. And it wasn't enough to convict him later on. They realized this could be the guy. And they started tracking him and were collecting some of the information. But, but it got to him. He realized that maybe they were on his tail. So the, the guy who was a, a mole or a turncoat or a, a traitor, uh, he really couldn't handle the question that was being asked to him, which is, if you were going to spy on the United States, how would you do it? And why couldn't he? Because he was spying for the enemy. Here's the question we might ask about that, uh, that CIA operative that was selling secrets to the enemy. Was he obedient? Was he obedient? And the answer to that question, based on the passage we're reading this morning in Romans chapter 6, is yes, he was obedient. He was obedient to his master. The question is, who was his master and who was it? It was the enemy. It was the Soviet Union or the Russia at the time. And so he was obedient. We might look at him and say, well, he was disobedient. He was disloyal. Uh, he was a rebel. He was a traitor. Well, that just depends on who his master is. If, his, if you consider the United States his master, then yes, he was all of those things. But if his master is the enemy, he was actually obedient and loyal and sacrificial and did all that was necessary to help. What this passage is going to tell us is this, and this is the title of the message. I want to encourage you this morning. You are always obedient. Some of you came in today and said, boy, I really have a hard time being obedient. And I want to let you know you're always obedient to someone. The Bible says we're always serving someone. You serve, in fact, the Bible is going to tell us, you serve who you obey. And the two options that we're going to talk about today from this passage are sin and righteousness. Sin or the Lord. Day in, day out, awake, asleep, you are always obeying either sin or the Lord. But whether or not you're obedient is not the question because you always are. Now, some of you are already arguing with me. I can tell because I know you pretty well. You say, I'm not serving sin. I'm the one in charge of what I do. I am the one who chooses what I'm going to do. And what we're going to discover from this passage, you are a servant to that which obey. And it doesn't matter even if you think it's your idea. If you think it's your idea, you think it's your uh, desire, you think it's your motivation that's uh, moving you to choose this thing or that the other thing, you're always serving who you obey, either sin or righteousness, either sin or the Lord. Let's start with the question the Bible starts with in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. The Bible has been telling us from the book of Romans, and it's uh, cover to cover really in the Bible, do you have the ability to earn your righteousness? And the answer is no. And the book of Romans, in particular Romans 5 and 6, are arguing since we are dead in Christ, the law no longer applies to us. We do not achieve righteousness through obedience to the law. We achieve righteousness by being in Christ by faith. So some of you would ask, since our righteousness doesn't come through the law, but it comes through grace, that means we can do whatever we want because grace is there for us. We said it this way last week. If I sin $100 worth of sin, Christ's grace give me $1,000 worth of grace. And so we might be motivated to think, well, if there's always plenty of grace, why don't I just keep on sinning? 
And in fact, if you tell me not to sin, that really doesn't sound like grace to me. So we need to understand what he's saying. The question is, since we have grace, does that mean sin doesn't matter? That means I can sin without concern. I can sin without worry. And the Bible is going to tell us no. Why is that? Let's look at some facts. One fact to start it off. Verse 16, a statement of fact. You can decide if you disagree or agree with the fact in verse 16. Of course, if you disagree, you have that deep abiding American privilege of having the right of being wrong. Do you not know if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? There's the fact. Who is your master? The one you are the one you obey. Let me get even more annoying. That's, that's my spiritual gift. We were not made to be God. We were made to serve. We were made in creation. Our purpose is to glorify God by serving Him. That is how we were made. Then Adam and Eve, standing in the middle of the garden, talking to the enemy, the serpent, they came to the realization they didn't want to serve God. They made the mistake, the mistake all of us make. If I don't serve God, that means I don't have to serve anybody. And that's the great deception. What we realize, though, when we look at the Bible is, no, no, we're always serving. Why? We were made to serve. The question is, what will we serve? Or who will be our master? So Adam and Eve grabbed the fruit off the tree and ate it because they didn't want God to be their master. Unbeknownst to them, that meant now their new master is sin. And sin is a difficult master, as we're going to see as we work through this passage. So let's talk about sin a little bit. All right, yay! So excited. We tend to think sin, a couple of ways people think about sin. Sin is something I stumble into, like I was strolling down the road and I fell into sin like I fall into a puddle. I suppose that could happen. I don't buy it. Okay, if you told me I stumbled into sin, uh, you know, I will be polite and listen to your story and not believe you. My guess is the way you stumbled into sin is you put it on your calendar and saved up for it. If that's what you mean by stumble into sin, then we're on the same page. Yeah, you planned for it. Yeah, I know. I'm On Friday, it's coming. Put it on your calendar. If you're smart and you're using Outlook, you're going to make that a private. If you don't know how to do that, I can show you. So sin, we think since I didn't, when I choose to sin, I'm the one who's in charge because I chose it. Because I was moved by my appetites. Why in the world do we sin? There's a number of reasons why we sin. Number one, Sin uh, brings pleasure to it. Some sins bring pleasure. If I drink so much alcohol that I become drunk, I will experience a sense of euphoria, a sense of drunkenness for a few minutes. My problems will go away. Then I'll sober up and all those problems are now worse. And and so that drunkenness provided a short-term benefit. I'm going to escape the world and get, get get my buzz going. And so I, I engage in that activity as a, an act of my will to derive pleasure. Sexual impropriety is the same way. If I'm going to have sexual relationships with someone who is not my spouse, that is going to bring short-term pleasure to some degree. But there's always other things that come from that. So it's things that are chosen, 
because we derive pleasure. But not all sins bring pleasure. Okay, we have a number of sins that are really aggravating, such as anger. Well, so I don't choose angry. What do we say? I get angry. Okay, like I said, if you tell me that somebody did something and it made you angry, I will listen politely, but I'm not buying it. Because sin is an act of a will where I choose to do something. If I get angry, I can somehow, through my getting big, getting rowdy, getting loud, I can somehow account for the injustice this world has brought to me. This world is not fair. This should not have happened. There's no way to fix it, so I'm going to get rowdy. I'm going to get after it. I'm going to get loud and make people regret that they made this world unfair for me. And so maybe we say, well, I don't derive pleasure from it, but we choose it because in the moment, that's what we need. We need justice. We need the world to be made right. Or you might say, well, I don't want to choose to be envy. Envy is a gross feeling. It's a sick feeling of looking at somebody else's life and wishing that that was my life. And, and why do we envy? Why do we choose to envy? Because we look at somebody else's life and they have something, a life, a person, a job, a, a, a bank account that we want. We look at their life and say, I want that. But what envy does is this. It gives me the, the joy in my inner person of sitting in God's throne and saying, if this world were right, I would have that, and they would not. We all know, of course, we're arguing in ourselves. We're not telling anybody else because we know they would think we're crazy. We all know that if this world was right, that person who's a liar, a cheat, a thief, uh, isn't kind to his family, isn't nearly all the wonderful things that I am, if the world was right, I would have that, and they would not, and they would look, be looking at my life in envy and coming to me for advice, which they should be doing anyway. So envy, even though maybe it doesn't make us feel good, we choose because it, it scratches an itch in us that we know this world should be catered to my whims. So sin is something we engage in. It's not passive. It's not I stumbled into it. It is something that we foster, and we always, because of deception, think it's going to provide something that it's not going to provide. One pastor said it this way, sin is always lying to us. It always tells us it will satisfy when it will not. And it tells, always tells us there are no consequences when there always are. And this is your experience, isn't it? You are engaging in some sin and you're thinking this will be okay. This is what I want. And it never satisfies the way you thought it would. And then it lies to you and says there aren't any consequences and there always, and there always are. And what the Bible is telling us as believers under grace, when we choose to engage in sin of attitude, of action, or of thought, we are in essence choosing to serve someone who is no longer our master. When you are sinning, you are not in charge. Sin is acting as your master even though it isn't anymore. So if you're under grace and the Lord has purchased you and made you his own, why would you want to live as though sin were your master any longer? That's the question he's asking us. And he wants us to, to look at it the way it actually is, not through rose-colored glasses or pretending it's not a big deal, my sins aren't bad, they're all PG-13 and nobody's getting hurt. He wants us to look at it the way it really is. When we submit our bodies and our minds and our hearts to sin, we are living as though sin is our master. You are a slave to that which you obey. When you present yourselves as, slave, as uh, 
present our bodies to sin, we are serving as slaves to sin. The other side is true. If you submit your members, your body, your heart, and mind to obedience, it leads to righteousness. You're a slave to that which you obey, either sin or the Lord. Here's why I'm harping on this. I need you to understand this. You are not in charge of your life. However, by faith, you get to participate in, by faith and by the grace of God, you get to engage in uh, worship of, of, by grace to either act as though sin is your master or act as though God is your master. And if you're saying, well, I'm pretty important, I don't want anybody to be my master, that's not an option because we were made to serve. We are always worshiping, we are always obeying, we are always serving. The question is, are we serving sin and death or are we serving obedience and righteousness? On that note, let's look at verses 17 and 18. Are you ready? Hard to tell. But thanks be to God. What? It seems depressing. Why is he thanking God? Here we go. Why thanks, thanks be to God, you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So he offers thanksgiving and praise because that which we have become is leading into that which we do. Are we righteous in Christ when we trust him for salvation? Yes. How righteous are we in Christ when we trust him for salvation? As righteous as Christ is. This is our identity. This is a theme we see throughout the book of Romans. We call it union with Christ. You'll see over and over again that we are in Christ. We are with Christ. We, are, we, we die with Christ. We are un, have union with Christ. So when we put our faith in Christ, we have union with him. We are in him, and we have the righteousness of Christ. That's who we are. Now, the question is, knowing who we are, how are we then going to live? And what he is saying is here, since we have been set free by the work of Christ from sin, we no longer have to submit to sin as our master. Old and dead theologians used to say it, and they said it in Latin, which I won't bore you with, mostly because I forgot it, but I want you to think I know Latin. Hopefully you'll be impressed that I want to know some Latin words. E pluribus unum, is that a thing? Okay. This is how old dead theologians used to say it. Before Christ, I could not sin. Unable to not sin. Without the power of Christ, I am a slave to sin, so therefore I am unable to not sin. On the other hand, in Christ, being set free from slavery to sin, righteous in Christ, I am, by the power of the Spirit, able to not sin. So something fundamentally has changed about the, the source of power in my life. Before Christ, I did not have the power as a slave to sin to say no to sin because I was a slave to it. But now in Christ, I have been the, given the power of the Spirit, and in Christ, you have been given the power of the Spirit to be able to say no sin, you're not my master any longer. It does not have any authority uh, over us. And so what the Bible is calling us to do is recognize who we are and live in our identity in Christ, having been made righteous and having been purchased out of slavery to sin and having been now purchased by Christ to be slaves of God. How then should we live as slaves to righteousness through obedience? So this is very important. 
We are not obeying to earn grace, and we are not obeying to keep grace. We are not obeying to earn righteousness or keep righteousness. We obey because he is our Lord and our King and our Master, and because our identity is righteous. So we want to live as those who have been made righteous by living righteous. Because of the power of the gospel in Christ, we are free from sin. Quick question about that CIA officer. Let's imagine we're going back to his job interview. He comes into the CIA for his job interview. He's done whatever he needs to do to, to get an interview. My, my guess is that's difficult. I don't know. So he gets in the interview and they say, okay, well, they're asking him all the questions. Are you good at learning languages? Oh, yeah, I am. Uh, are you really good at keeping secrets? Oh, yeah, I never tell anybody anything. Um, why do you want to work for the CIA? This is a common job interview question. So why do you want this job? Why do you want to work for the CIA? And he goes, oh, oh, that's easy. Thanks for asking. Actually, I'm really glad you asked. I am looking for ways to have access to secret information so I can sell it to the enemy. And I figured, hey, you know what? The best place to find secret information is the CIA. So I was hoping I could get a job here so I could then take the information you guys give me and I could sell it to the enemy and make lots of money. I'm thinking I'll make several times my annual income by selling the information. In fact, since we're talking about it, this may seem awkward, could you give me a really high clearance level? Because the higher my clearance level, the more... Does this sound sane to anybody? No, it sounds insane. Nobody would say that. You would keep that to yourself and then do it on the slide. So then we ask the question that Paul is addressing in Romans 6.15. Why do you want to know Jesus? Because I sin and I don't like feeling bad about it. And I want God's grace so I can keep on sinning, but because of grace, I no longer feel bad about it. And what the argument Paul is making here is this. If we want Jesus... So we can just merely, only so we can keep sinning and not feeling bad about it. Guess what? You don't want Jesus. If you want Jesus just simply so you don't feel bad about your sin anymore, you actually don't want Jesus because Jesus is about giving us a new identity, which is what? Righteousness in him. So he, the goal here is not merely to have my life as normal with some Jesus-y grace sprinkled on it so I don't have to feel bad about sin anymore. The goal here is to live in our new identity, recognizing I have a master and living for that master, Jesus, as in a life of righteousness. You are always obedient and under grace, even under the grace we have been given, Obedience matters because in our affection for Jesus, we want to live as obedient to the one who has purchased us, which is our Savior and Lord, uh, Jesus Christ. Okay, let's look at the next part of this, uh, these verses. Obedience has a goal. You are always obedient. You are always obedient, and obedience has a goal. Uh, when I was in high school, I think I got the job when I was a sophomore in high school, I was working at a little restaurant uh, over here on the corner of Biddle and uh, McAndrew. I think maybe you've heard of it. It's McDonald's. Have you heard of this? I don't know. Not everybody's heard of it. Um, so I worked there, and um, of course, it was a different building. They tore down the old McDonald's and built a new building, and, and part of me died when they tore that, down that building because I spent so much time uh, in that McDonald's, and the new fancy one is not nearly as awesome as, as the one I worked in. I made $3.50 an hour as a, as a, uh, as a, 
minimum wage employee at McDonald's, uh, the young people are going, holy cow, you can't live on $3.50 an hour. And the older people in the room are saying, I moved irrigation pipe for 10 cents an hour. Yeah, it's on you, bro. Maybe you should get somebody to negotiate your... I don't I'm messing with you. Okay, something called inflation. So I had a goal in working at McDonald's. I wanted to make some money so I could spend my winters on Mount Ashland. It was not a complicated goal. I needed money to buy skis. I needed money to keep my skis tuned. I needed money to pay uh, for lift tickets. And I wanted to see if I could use all of my skips in school to be skiing on Mount Ashland during school. In my senior year of high school, I missed school 18 times. Sick. To ski on Mount Ashland. I personally feel that was a good use of that time. So I had a goal. Why was I working? Because I wanted to be on Mount Ashland if I was awake. My manager had a different goal. His goal was to have a successful restaurant so that maybe someday he could get promoted or buy his own McDonald's. The owner of the restaurant had a different goal. They wanted to make a return on their investment. They had paid for the building. They, had, they paid for the supplies to come in. They wanted to make a certain rate of return on their investment in the restaurant. McDonald's, as a corporation, had a different goal. They wanted their stock price to improve so the CEO could make lots of money, and they had a whole different goal. Why did we all work together? Because all of our goals had a common goal that worked together. When I met my goals, my manager met his goals, and the owner met his goals, and so all of these things had a trajectory. As soon as my goals didn't match up with the manager's goals, they would fire me. Obedience has a goal. Serving our master always has a point. And, and serving sin has a goal to it. And serving righteousness has a goal to it. And the Bible tells us what those goals are. And we need to decide before we serve one or the other which goal fits with what we want to do. Okay, we need to look at serving sin and we need to look at serving righteousness and say, hey, sin, what's your goal? Got it. Righteousness, what's your goal? Got it. Which one fits for what my goals are and what your goals are? Let's check it out. Verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms. Because of your natural limitations, if you're not clear on that, Paul just insulted everybody. What he is saying is this figure of speech on slavery and mastery has a limitations to it. At a certain point, the illustration will break down, but he's going to pursue it nonetheless. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So, first goal of each. When we pursue sin, it leads to more sin. When we pursue sin, the goal of sin is to give us more sin. Some of us think, well, if I do this little thing, it keeps me from doing much worse things. No. The goal of sin is to own you and to destroy you, and there's no halfway for sin. If you're sinning a little, sin wants you to sin more, and you, this has been your experience. Well, I'll just do this little thing. And pretty soon, the next time you're going to engage in that activity, that's not enough any longer. Because sin lied to you and told you it would be satisfactory, and it's not any longer. And so now it leads to more. So lawlessness and pursuing the appetites of our flesh only leads to the pursuit of our appetites even more so. It never gets to a point where we say, you know, I think I'm good. I'm satisfied. It will always be leaving us thirsty 
uh, just like drinking seawater will not make you less thirsty. It makes you more thirsty. Where does serving righteousness lead? It says here at the end of verse 19, present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. So he's saying, don't choose to present my body to sin. Instead, choose to present my body to Christ through obedience to righteousness. And this leads to sanctification. What is sanctification? It's a fancy word for becoming more holy or becoming more like Jesus over the course of this life. Having been made righteous as Christ, what we want to see in our life is his righteousness worked out in our life more and more each day over the course of our life. The goal of seeking God through obedience and sanctification is this time next year, I look over the course of my life and I can thank the Lord that there are some sins in my life I can see starting to work their way out. They can look over the course of your life and 10 years ago, maybe you can think of things you were doing as a Christian, which today you are grateful God has delivered you from. And that's what we see, sanctification, the work of righteousness being worked out in our day in and day out life. So the goal of sin, to make you sin more. The goal of righteousness is to work out the person of Jesus Christ in your heart and life day in and day out. Okay? Okay, let's look at verses 20 and 21. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is what? What's it say? It's death. We're now going to compare our two masters and see which one you like better. Sin inflames your appetite for sin, makes you desire to have more sin, and it leads one direction. Sin has one simple goal. It will kill you. It is poison in any quantity. You're arguing with me. I can tell. What happened to Adam, to Adam and Eve? What did the Lord say to you, uh, Eve, when, uh, if you were to, I don't know, eat this tasty fruit? Well, she said, uh, our eyes would be open. We'd know good and evil, and uh, I don't know, we would die. And what was his response? You will not surely die. And so that's what he's done. I've seen plenty of times. I've never died. My death rate on planet Earth so far is 0%. And I have sinned plenty. How about you? And so some of you are thinking, sin doesn't kill me. That's what sin does. So this is what our deceptive minds even do to ourselves or the enemy is doing to us. Sin doesn't really cause any problem. Nobody's getting hurt. Nobody even knows. Sin has one goal, make you sin more. Sin has one goal, to destroy you, to kill you. That's what this master wants. It wants to own you, to kill you. That's the goal of sin. Do you want to serve this master? This isn't a trick question. No, nobody wants to serve this master. Nobody does. Okay, let's look at the other master. Verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin, yay, now we have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. More hushed, yay. I want to be master. See, you're still doing it. I want to be the master. You don't get to be. It's either sin or God. Since you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Sin kills you. Serving the Lord, by His grace, He makes us righteous so we can live righteous. 
Over the course of our life, he makes us more and more like Jesus. And in the end, we walk across the threshold of eternity into eternal life. We live in righteousness today, which means our eternal life doesn't start then. It starts now. And it means righteousness is worked out as of these two masters, which one sounds better? Of course, serving the Lord sounds better. And that's what he's trying to do. We get righteousness from Christ by grace. And he works out that righteousness in our life. And as a result, we have Christ and we have eternal life. Whereas sin says, I'm going to kill you. We are going to obey Christ or we are going to obey sin. And one of them is giving us life and the other one is leading us toward death. One other thing on verse 22 and then we'll look at the last verse. Now that you have been set free from sin... You have become slaves to God. As a Christian, don't answer out loud unless you're really bold. Do you feel free from sin? You know, like you, if, if, some, if you're going to describe, so you say, tell me something about your relationship with the Lord. Would you say, you know, one of the things that's great about following the Lord is I'm free, uh, I'm free from sin. Is that how you would describe your reality? Yeah, we might hedge our bets a little bit there. Well, so what is he doing? He's telling something that's true of us. One of the ways that I believe the enemy seeks to deceive us is to convince us we just can't say no to sin any longer. You know, you can't do that. You're not strong enough. You don't have enough willpower. You'll never get over it, whatever it might be. The Bible is crystal clear about your identity in Christ. What is your relationship to sin? You're free. You do not have to sin any longer. Now, I'm not saying you won't struggle with sin. If you're alive, you're struggling with sin. Just deal with reality. But we need, to, we need to not give sin power it does not have. It does not own us. It is not our master. We can say no. We are free from sin. It no longer has any hold over us. We can live in the righteousness Christ has given us. All right, let's look at verse 23. It's a wanna, um, it's a wanna Sunday. And this is an Awana memory verse. How many people have memorized Romans 6.23, whether in Awana or not? Here it is. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we need to, first of all, since this is a memory verse that's been used in a very uh, specific ways over the years, I need you to open up this verse to, to its fuller meaning, uh, meaning what normally what we do with this verse is we go to up to our buddy, Romans 3.23, all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. And your buddy says, yeah, you got me. Well, guess what? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Since you're a sinner, you're dying, bro. And he goes, ah, oh, you lost me. Feel like a sinner, don't feel like I'm dying. So we've normally primarily used this verse as a means toward explaining sin kills you. It does say that. That's only the first part of the verse. What's the second part of the verse say? The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a contrast verse. It wants to show us the master of sin. Sin pays you what you deserve. It's always accurate. Its payroll team and bookkeeping team are always accurate. When you sin, you die. God, on the other hand, does not pay you what you deserve. Sin, on the one hand, is paying a wage. What does it say about God? Free gift. So it's two different kinds of masters. Sin, on the one hand, gives mankind what he deserves. Death. God, on the other hand, does not give us what we deserve. He gives us a free gift, which is eternal life. So which one of these masters is the better master? 
It is God. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us more than we deserve. He gives us a free gift, and he gives us eternal life. What's the word right after life? What's it, what is it in your translation? Does yours say in, by, through? Doesn't matter. It's different translations than one word. Here's the thing you need to pay attention to. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Eternal life is the experience of relationship with God in Christ Jesus. So if you only want eternal life without Christ Jesus, you don't want eternal life because that's the only kind of eternal life there is. Eternal life that God is giving us is in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a kind of life. It's a life of being made righteous over time and a life of fully experiencing Christ's righteousness uh, even now. Maybe I would say it this way. This will offend you. That's my job. If you want grace merely so you don't feel bad about sin anymore and are not really that into Jesus, you don't want grace. Because the only kind of grace there is, is the kind of grace that puts us in Christ. The goal of being, uh, being delivered from my sin is not to finally merely be free and autonomous. The goal of being free of my sin is to serve Christ. Because that's where eternal life and righteousness are found. Since we're doing a one of verses, let's look at Ephesians 2.8.9 real quick. Have you heard of that verse, Ephesians 2.8.9? Where is Ephesians? Let's see, is it after hesitations? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Let me read Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You've got to memorize. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Isn't it great we get saved without working? Well, maybe you guys are hard workers. For me, this is good news. I am really bad at being a good Christian. And so I am, it is, it is really good to find out that I am saved by grace through faith, it's all Jesus, all day, all the time. That's, that's, that's amazing. The question is, why does he do it? And the answer to that is verse 10. Look at verse 10. This part isn't in the memory verse oftentimes. For we are God's worksmanship created in Christ Jesus to be able to do what we want and not feel bad about it. That's not what it says. Why are we saved? What is the purpose of our salvation? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He wants to deliver us from sin so we no longer do works that lead to death. He wants to deliver us from sin so we can do good works that lead to the fruit of righteousness. That is the goal. To be in Christ by grace is to want to serve Christ because he is gracious uh, to allow us to do it. You are always obedient. Under grace, obedience matters, and obedience has a goal. Okay, three quick things. We're going to close on this. There's a lot going on here, and we're going to just close with these three things. Are you ready? I'll take that as a yes. Here we go. I do what I want is another way of saying I'm a servant to my desires. Many of us think when I get to do what I want, it means I'm the master. It doesn't. I do what I want is another way of saying I'm a servant to my desires. Doing what you want, 
being led by your appetites does not put you in charge of your life. It makes you a slave to your appetites, to your desires, and it doesn't lead anywhere good. There might be a place through prayer and through seeking God through his word and a prayerful humility to ask God's spirit to convict us where we will finally be more willing to question our own appetites and motives. Just because we want something doesn't mean it ought to be. But if we're the master of our life, if I want something, it must be because I am the master. And the Bible teaches us humility by the gospel and the power of the spirit to look at our appetites and say, I don't know that my appetite ought to be in charge here. And by God's grace and his spirit, being able to say to our own appetites, our own fleshly desires, I don't think so. That's that's a big no for you. We're not going down that road. And the Holy Spirit is that which gives us the ability to say no, even to our own appetites. The Bible has a real boring word for it. You're going to hate it, but here's the word. You know what the word is? Self-control. The ability to say no to me and instead serve my Lord. But we're always obedient. We can serve the Lord or our appetites. Okay, next thing, moving on. If you see grace merely as a means to feel okay about doing wrong, you've actually uh, missed the point of grace. Grace does, in fact, give us peace to know that our sins are atoned for. Grace does, in fact, give us peace to know that we have relationship with God. But grace is our means to serve our master in righteousness. It does, in fact, by God's grace, it is a joy to know that no matter what I've done or what I will do, I don't have to carry the shame and guilt for it. But that's one small slice of the grace pie. The next big piece that grace does for us, it moves us into a servant relationship to God where we serve him in righteousness. And I might suggest if grace to us is only a means to not feel bad about doing uh, something wrong, we've missed what grace is all about. Grace is so much bigger God wants us to give us the fruit of Jesus being worked out in our lives. Okay, last thing, and then we'll be done. All masters have an agenda, and sin wants to kill you. I, I know you won't believe me because there's some things that we're doing and we don't, we don't mind so much and we don't think they're a big deal, but, but there's just I don't know another way to put it because that's what the Bible says. Sin is deadly, has consequences in our life. We may not see it today. We may not see it till next year. We may not see it for another decade, but... Uh, uh, submitting the members of our bodies, submitting our hearts and our souls and our minds to sin has an agenda, and the agenda is to destroy us. God, on the other hand, wants to give you life that lasts forever, and he wants believers to live their life in fullness in the righteousness of Christ today. One master wants to kill you. One master wants to give you eternal life and fullness. Who is the cruel master? It's not God. And we're convinced it's God because he won't give us what we want. But that's a lie. God is the master giving us eternal life and fruit and the fruit of righteousness. You're always obedient. Obedience has a goal. And under our grace, obedience matters.